Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. On a mixtape just around the corner Did a lot in California Can't wait to drop this on you Yeah, they gon' have fun with that Smash like song and my song Hello and welcome back to the podcast That is always up to speed with Formula One It is Thursday, October 13th, 2022 Mark Daly, Mark Hamilton here And dude, what's wrong? Something? Are, are you okay? Like for for the longest time, every time that we 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 open with JT the human, I'm I'm watching you bust a move here in the studio. <laughs> and today it was just kind of like some head, subtle kind of like head bobbing. It's like oh, that's cool, that's cool, that's cool. But you look happy. That's the main thing. How's your week been? I've I've fired up for this podcast. And to backtrack, you know, you and I sat down last Thursday. We did a podcast. It was it felt yep. good. Like it felt like we kind of had the chemistry back. We were vibing. It felt really good. Um, on Sunday, it was actually Canadian Thanksgiving. So uh, you took the day to spend with your family and I ended up yep. doing a podcast with Tim, which I thought was really good. And it was funny because when I was talking to Tim on Sunday, I'm like, hey, hey, dude, um, there's this possibility that could be some news tomorrow about cost cap compliance. If there is, and there's a interesting wrinkle to it, like, do you want to jump on a, a late night reaction podcast with me and daily but as it turns out i did my thanksgiving on monday <laughs> midday and you guys yeah. ended up recording a a great great reaction podcast and i can't Thank wait you. to get into this with you uh but yeah pretty fired up so this is our fourth podcast i think in the last seven days so we've been we've been busy the driver's title might be wrapped up but uh we've still got tons to talk about over the next couple of months Oh, I know, right? I mean, that, that's the one nice thing about Formula One that even though there may or may not be action on the track, there's always something to talk about. And then when you get into like deepest, darkest winter, at least in the Northern Hemisphere in the, in the off season, and everything is well and truly shut down, there's, there's plenty of like, there's decades of material to go back and dive into. And we're certainly going to do that once the season comes to end in about six or seven weeks from now. But I don't want to put the cart before the horse because even though we got five races uh, to go, it's still fun to watch. And it's, uh, it's, I don't, Formula One always helps me with my, with my Jones. And, uh, you know what? But it was funny. I was just thinking about how you were kind of like having, I wouldn't say regrets, but, uh, you know, you just felt like a, a little bit like, oh, they're, they're doing a pod on Monday. I felt the same way on Sunday, the way that our, uh, the times <laughs> of our, our dinner kind of like got moved around during the day. And then it was, it was funny though, the way that that Japanese Grand Prix kind of went off. I was so excited because, you know, number one, I love Japan. Number two, I love the Japanese Grand Prix. I, I love Suzuka. I think it's a classic fantastic track that just has so many different elements to it that makes it such a unique uh, circuit and such a challenge for the drivers and then thirdly it came it was supposed to start at a really friendly time here on the west coast which was 10 p.m pacific and i was like this is great because I, i'm a night owl anyways i mean 10 a.m or sorry 10 p.m on a saturday night 
I'm going to be up for hours still. I mean, I don't go to sleep until the wee hours of the morning. So I was really, really excited about that. And I, I must admit that just the sort of on again, off again nature <laughs> with the, the the weather and everything like that, I found myself nodding off and it was a bit of a struggle to get through that restart. But, you know, it is uh, what it is. And ultimately, it's kind of funny. I think what happened on the track and what the results of that uh, that that Grand Prix was has been completely overshadowed. But what came afterwards on, you know, what was Thanksgiving Monday, I guess Red Bull and Aston Martin weren't too thankful for, for that news uh, dropping. But I am kind of putting the cart before the horse a little bit uh, before we do that. First of all, we want to wish a happy 79th birthday to Mr. Peter Sauber. And uh, if you haven't been around Formula One for that long, Sauber is basically Alfa Romeo. Alfa Romeo's basically got some really fancy naming sponsorship uh, deal with uh, the Sauber group. And Sauber's been around for a very long time in Formula One and motorsport in general. And I didn't realize that Peter was actually that old. I would have thought he was like in his 70s, but I didn't think he was pushing 80. But uh, happy birthday to Peter Sauber nonetheless. And I guess we'll give a, a, you know, as usual, we'll give a shout out to our good friends at the race weekends at the race weekend.com. That is, uh, T H E R C. What is it? R C W K N D race weekend. Oh, sorry. No, it's R A C E W K N D.com. Uh, go over there, enter our promo code scuderia pod, and you'll get 10% off a fantastic, uh, publication. And you got your arms crossed, so I'm just going to go straight into the Drivers and uh, Constructors Championship update because every time I do this, you tell me you're not ready, unless you're ready. I'm I ready. Mean, you're, I'm ready. You're great. I'm okay. Ready. I, I kind of had a feeling because the way you're smiling, I was just like, he's. I'm gonna, I'm gonna breeze right by it, but you're not gonna let me. So, oh, you there's have so <laughs> much activity in the top ten in the Skidaria F1 podcast Super League this week. So, number one, sitting number one from the UK, Whitman R with three thousand seven hundred and nineteen points. That is F number two, three thousand seven hundred five. Also from the UK, Andrew T, number three, 3,703 points. Number four, Janko West, representing the Great White North, 3,652 points. Number five, Aaron K. Aaron just keeps inching up the standings at 3,621 points. Number six, Marshall W from the UK, 3,583 points. Number seven, Adam J, also from Canada, 3,568 points. Number eight, Daffy A from the UK, 3,563 points. Number nine, new to the top 10, I think, Radic W, 3,528 points. And number 10, this is a definite, oh my goodness, so this is how old I am. I actually need to zoom in here because my <laughs> eyes aren't great. Um, ba, 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 hold on. And this is like the longest drum roll ever. Number 10, Merck Stappen has slid into number 10, into the 10 spot at 3,499 points. So probably the most activity we've seen in the last couple of weeks can't Very really cool. speak to why, but it just means that this championship, this championship is still wide open. There we go. We're going to have like a fantasy league show just uh, dedicated to all these uh, fantastic fam- uh, fantasy league players. And if uh, things get a little bit uh, uninteresting on the track, but we know that there's going to be something to talk about. Uh, and I'm sure there's going to be lots to talk about over the next uh, five or six weeks as we wrap up this uh, championship in 2022. Okay, over to the driver's standing. Max Verstappen has now been crowned champion. Uh, the Red Bull driver, 366 points. Sergio Perez, his teammate, now in second in the driver's championship with 253. A single point ahead of Charles Leclerc from Ferrari with 252. George Russell for Mercedes, 200. 
207, just five points ahead of Carlos Sainz, the second Ferrari driver with 202. Lewis Hamilton in sixth spot, not used to seeing Lewis that far down in the championship. He has 180 points. And boy, I mean, the season got off to a pretty rough start for Lewis. He just hasn't been able to really take any big leaps and bounds to move up the standings in the driver's head championship. So definitely not used to seeing Lewis Hamilton that far down. Anyways, over in the Constructors' Championship, Red Bull still blazing the way, 619 points with five races to go. Ferrari 454, Mercedes 387, Alpine with 143, McLaren losing a bit of ground to their French rivals. They have 130 points. Then just running down the rest of the Constructors, Alfa Romeo, Aston Martin, Haas, Alfa Tauri, and then Williams is 10th in the Constructors Championship and only or the only team that hasn't broken into double digit points in the Constructors this year. They only have eight. So there you go. And then let's jump into the latest fun uh, graphic of the week. Let's zoom into that because I made it a little bit uh, too small. So this comes from at F1 Stats Guru. So the biggest points deficit overturned en route to becoming the driver's champion since 2010. So uh, 2022, Max Verstappen was 46 points behind. So that's uh, Charles Leclerc. And then 2012, Sebastian Vettel overturned a 44-point deficit from Fernando Alonso. In 2010... Seb overturned a 31-point deficit that um, was established by Lewis Hamilton. In 2014, uh, Lewis Hamilton, who was champion that year, overturned a 29-deficit uh, that was in the favor of his former teammate, Nico Rosberg. And then in 2017, Lewis overturned a 25-point advantage that Sebastian Vettel had. And, uh, well, as we know, Lewis has basically owned the World Championship since uh, 2014. So some interesting uh, interesting names in there and it's it's interesting how Seb and Lewis popped up twice in uh, both of those uh, runs because you remember Sebastian was world champion from uh, 2010 to 2013 four times in a row Lewis has been champion six times since 2014 but interesting that they both overturned some pretty hefty points deficits but I mean Seb overturning 44 points to uh, beat uh, uh, Fernando Alonso. That that seems like a while ago. I must admit, I struggled to remember that season a little bit, Mark. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny because while you were talking, it uh, it kind of occurred to me that 2010 was a pretty close championship. So I just, yep. I just brought it up on Wikipedia here. Here's how the final driver's championship finished up or tidied up. Sebastian Vettel, as you mentioned, won the title. He finished with 2,000, sorry, 2,000, he finished with, hold on, again, my eyes, my eyes are letting me down here. But in 2010, Sebastian <laughs> Vettel won the Drivers' Championship with 256 points. Number two was Fernando Alonso at 252 points. Number three was Mark Webber with 242 points. And Lewis Hamilton finished with 240 points. You had four drivers within 16 points of each other in that championship. You forget how wild and how tight the championship was that year. Just incredible. And mm -hmm. I always think about, you know, Lewis's great years. 2007, he was so close. In 2008, he was so close. And 2013 was something of a resurgence in that V8 Mercedes. And then 2014, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. It was just, it was the, the, the Lewis Hamilton show. But he was just 16 points shy of a championship in 2010. And what really impacted him there that year was he had that string of really bad luck with that retirement in Hungary, at Monza, in Singapore. And if not for that string of bad luck, he could very well have 
an additional championship from 2010. You could always play the what if game, but yeah, just remarkable how close that 2010 championship was. And to your point, Sebastian Vettel had to dig himself out of a huge deficit to go on and win his first title. Yeah. Well, that's kind of very similar to the way that uh, Nico Rosberg won his first title, right? Well, his well, his first, his one and only title in 2016, because he got off to a, a pretty good start that year. And then Lewis uh, struggled a little bit. He, he sputtered for, through the first uh, several races. And uh, Nico had something like a, like a 43 or 45 point uh, uh, you know lead in the championship by the time I think we got to China yeah. or by the time we left China. And, you know, Lewis did a really, really good, good job to really claw it back. But I mean, after that, uh, you know, his engine let go in Malaysia, it was pretty clear that, you know, he dropped all those points in, in that race. And from there, Nico was just going to play it clean and just nurse that uh, that championship home and. I mean, we, we still kind of remember that season finale at Yas Marina. And remember how you had like Sebastian Vettel and 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 Max Verstappen and, and Lewis was trying to back uh, Nico in, into them. And, you know, it was just uh, <laughs> hoping that they I would kind it. of like wait into that. And you could tell that Max and Seb, they just didn't want to get involved. You get Patty Lowe on the radio telling Lewis to speed yeah. up and all these. That was uh, kind Lewis, of Lewis, uh, this is Patty. Dramatic. Lewis, yes. yeah, I'll, I'll never forget that. And, and like I've said before, I, it, the funny thing is, um, we were mm-hmm. there, but we obviously didn't have access to the race commentary, so it wasn't yeah. that clear to us that all of that was happening. And it really wasn't until we actually got back home and we rewatched the race that a lot of those kind of, I, I would say, uh, layers of complexity uh, dawned upon us. But yeah, what an interesting finale that was to a bitterly contested championship between two bitter rivals on the same team. You know, dude, I'll be completely honest with you. If I'm going to a, a Grand Prix anytime soon, I'm taking my phone. I'm making sure that I've got like a data plan if there's no Wi-Fi yeah. at the track. Yeah, and yeah, I'm yeah. engaging the AirPods so I can, you know, turn on F1 TV Pro and get on the comms of, uh, you know, Lewis or whoever it might be, who, whoever, just to throughout the race, because that would have been uh, that that would have been pretty fun to be able to toggle back between the, you know, the, the, the race radio and listen to what all the drivers uh, were, were, were saying. Okay, so pull the wins ratio for drivers that are still active. So Max has converted 72.22% of his uh, pole positions into victories. That is quite a bit more than the number two driver, which is Fernando Alonso, who has uh, converted 63.64% of his polls into wins. Lewis has converted 59.22% of polls to wins. Sebastian, thirty sorry, 54.39%. Carlos Sainz, 50%. Danny Ricardo, 33.33%. Valtteri Bottas, 30% pardon me, of polls to victories. And then Charles Leclerc, 22.22% of polls into wins. And I mean, there's some pretty impressive numbers in there. I mean, if you look at Lewis and Fernando and Sebastian, I mean, how many races have those guys competed in combined? I mean, it must be pushing like a thousand Grand Prix between those three drivers. I mean, Lewis has been around for a long time. Seb's been around for a long time. I, I think Fernando's been racing since at least 1849. So, I mean, just uh, by virtue, you know, when they're still racing with horse and carriage or whatever it was. But 
those are impressive numbers for for Sebastian Lewis and Fernando Alonso, like anything north of 50%. But I mean, especially with with drivers that have been around for, for, for that long. And of course, that's not percentage of race starts to victories, but just polls to victories. I mean, we have to to uh, to uh, bring that uh, the exact numbers. I mean, Lewis, of course, is the all time leader when it comes to uh, to polls set. I mean, he eclipsed that. What was that in 2017, 2018? He did that in Montreal when he uh Remember when we did that, and uh, it just uh, keeps on going. So, for the you know, the potential that uh, Lewis and Fernando could extend those uh, those streaks is uh, still possible. Probably more likely that Lewis will rather than than Fernando. But I guess we shouldn't write Fernando Alonso off, considering we don't know what Aston Martin's challenger for next year will look like. But uh, that's kind of a cool stat. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights and more. Whether you're into speed, power or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So let's get back into where we kind of left it off, or at least where Tim and I left it off on Monday. And that is the discussion about the overspends that were announced by the FI on Monday, a procedural breach by Aston Martin and a minor overspend uh, by Red Bull. And of course, you know, this is really ignited a lot of debate. Uh, you know, the, you've had Total Wolf team principal of uh, Mercedes saying that there's nothing minor about a minor overspend breach. Martin Brundle, former Formula One driver and Sky Sports commentator and F1 pundit, said that the FIA punishment must hurt. That's his uh, exact uh, term. And, you know, as, as I said with Tim on Monday, that I think this is a, a very important situation for FIA President uh, Mohammed Ben Sulaim. Because, I mean, he's really only been on the job for, what, about a year-ish now? It hasn't been all that long. And it's really going to set the, pres- or the, 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 uh, the precedent and the tone of his presidency. But also, it's going to set the tone and the precedent for this whole cost cap. Because if they don't come down with what is an adequate punishment or... A retribution that just sounds a little bit kind of nasty, but you know what I mean. Whatever the whatever the the the, the reprimand is, it has to be matching to the transgression. So I, I agree with Total Wolf. I mean, there's nothing minor about a minor overspend. I mean, you have that hard cost cap. You you're not supposed to go over it. But I mean, it's 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 interesting, right? Because I mean. 
you have to think that Christian Horner really legitimately 100% believed that they were in compliance with the cost cap. Otherwise, you know, he would have been out there threatening legal action against those that were bad them in the press and saying that he was in on all the and all the discussions and the procedure that, you know, they'd hired one of the big three accounting firms in the world to, to handle this thing. So I'm still inclined to take him at face value and to let them prove otherwise. I'm just surprised that a team like Red Bull, you know, would find themselves find themselves in this uh, position because, you know, like I say, they engaged like an external party to to basically ensure their compliance with it, and yet they've still run afoul. So it would be interesting to see what, you know, any forensic back accounting or whatever you want to call it reveals and whether or not any details will be released by the FIA in the in the future, because I think everybody wants to know is, okay, they did it, but how did they do it? Was it purely an accident? Of course, I think the tendency for most people is just to jump and, oh, they, you know, they did it on purpose. But as I said with Tim, I mean, I can see internally, and I'm, I'm not referring, I don't want to say anything negative or, you know, bad about Red Bull, but just in general, if you have like a group of people that want to deceive a people, I can see that within an organization when you have like another external organization especially with that um, you know company that employs professionals that are bound by their own code of ethics i find it you know more difficult to believe that you could kind of rope in an external body like that into a conspiracy not saying that that's the case that where we you know, we're seeing now but i'm i i i'm skeptical of an intentional overspend at this point Let, let's just put it that way First of all, shout out to both you and Tim. Like I said earlier, I, I listened to that podcast earlier today when I was when I was getting ready to go out and, and I was getting dressed and and I, I appreciated I appreciated a couple of things about about your effort. And I think one of them was that there was no sense of I would say emotional bias and so much of what I've mm. heard in the media and what I've heard on other podcasts and what I've heard on Twitter and Reddit has been this really bias laced mentality, which is if this was Mercedes, they would have been, they would have been disqualified from the championship. And if it was Ferrari, they would have been fined into oblivion. And it's all these kind of weird kind of weird statements that just reinforce and illustrate people's biases within the kind of i would say um ecosystem of formula one and that's a little bit disheartening i i think before i kind of share my thoughts because i i definitely have some and there were some comments that both you and tim made that i do certainly disagree with and i'll share those but we had a couple people reach out over the yeah yeah we're, oh we actually disagreed on something man but i had a couple <laughs> people reach out and then just like hey can you sure. remind everybody what the cost cap is so yep liberty has done some really great things for formula one since it purchased the sport four or five years ago, I guess five or six years ago at this point. And again, they basically got this sport for a song. They really didn't pay much for the sport. I, I, I know what the price tag was declared as being, but there was some real financial and accounting wizardry that helped them purchase this sport for a song. But one of the things that they promised to do was create more competitive parity. And they were able to do that with the 2020 Concord Agreement. And 
one of the ways and one of the things that's so special about that Concord agreement is that they got all of the teams to agree on a couple transformational changes to the sport. And for the sake of this mm-hmm. conversation, the biggest one was the cost cap. And the intention of the cost cap is to equalize the spending amongst all of the teams because historically you could have a Red Bull, a Ferrari, or Mercedes, and I, I, I say those teams because those are some of the historically bigger spenders that could spend an unlimited amount of money developing their car on, on their operations. And unfortunately, not all of the teams on the grid had that financial capability or have that financial capability today. So what that determined was that before the jump, before winter testing, you already knew who the top three teams were going to be simply because they outspent everybody by a significant margin. So you had small teams that maybe spent 60 or $70 million and you had a Red Bull, Ferrari and Mercedes spending three, four, $500 million. That is not a championship. That is not compelling to watch. So one of the things that Liberty was able to do was convince not strong arm, but convince the bigger teams that this idea of cost cap is a good thing. And if I'm Red Bull, Ferrari, Mercedes, I'm like, well, I spend a lot of money and I have a lot of success. If I'm spending less money and the smaller teams are spending an equivalent amount of money, my competitive edge may be diminished. But the way that Liberty was able to convince these teams to pursue this concept of a cost cap was by reminding them that, hey, if there is cost certainty in the sport, For instance, if it's known that the maximum amount of money that you're going to be able to spend in a year is $150 million, that helps to significantly enhance the value of these operations because you don't have to spend $500 million a year to be competitive. You only have to spend $135 million and just surround your organization with great people. And then the question often comes from that, and we might actually get to this a little bit later, that if if as an organization, we have an income of $500 million, so that's prize money and that's sponsorship money, but we're only spending $150 million on the budget cap and say $50 million in driver salaries and some other miscellaneous expenses, that's $300 million of profit. So that's $300 million in profit that we get to keep as an organization. And that's also going to drive the valuation of the team through the roof because this is a team now that gets mm-hmm. to compete in Formula One and earn $300 million a year. So kind of pivoting back now or drifting back or taking a sharp turn back to the conversation at hand. My biggest concern here is not necessarily the rules themselves, because let's be honest, we're all now shocked and surprised at how ambiguous and how terrible the rule set is in the financial regulations, but they've been printed and published for months or years. It shouldn't be a Mm -hmm. surprise to us now that if I look at them and I look at a minor sporting penalty and there's a list of 117 different possible penalties without any clear direction on how or when each of those would be applied. And the fact that a minor, a minor overspend is between a dollar and seven and a quarter million dollars. None of us should be angry or surprised. The reality is they've been set in stone for some time. And the other thing I want to be clear about here, and I am not an advocate or a fan of the FIA, ultimately the financial regulations, the cost cap, this was all agreed upon by Liberty, the FIA, and the teams. 
Everybody signed up for this. And it's terrible, but we all signed up for this. So we shouldn't suddenly get be getting angry that, well, you know, ultimately the the penalties, like the minor sporting penalty or a material sporting penalty, they're super ambiguous. And who's the one that's ultimately going to make the decision? And how how is it that Red Bull could spend seven and a quarter million dollars over the cap and get nothing more than a public reprimand? Well, again, everybody agreed to these penalties. Everyone agreed to these regulations. And if the teams don't like them, they have the opportunity to go back and rework them with the FIA and Liberty, but they are what they are. I think it's now abundantly clear. I think it's abundantly clear that the reason, and you and I were super excited because we thought we were going to talk about this last Thursday. The reason, obviously, that the FIA at the very, very, very last minute moved the distribution of the cost cap compliance certificates from last Wednesday until Monday of this week was because they obviously knew what the outcome was going to be. And I don't think they wanted to go into a Grand Prix weekend and have this huge cloud hanging over the head of the team that was about to or did win the World Drivers Championship, right? So they come out on Monday and they distribute the cost cap compliance certificates. And obviously, a shock to nobody, Red Bull spent too much money. Now, the challenge is we don't know how much money they spent over the cap. But that said, I also don't believe that's relevant because to me, whether it's a dollar over or whether it's seven and a quarter million dollars over, which would be that 5% buffer because the the minor spend is that five, the cost cap plus 5%, it's absurd. Whether it's Red Bull, whether it's Mercedes, no matter who it is, if you spend a dollar over, you've broken that regulation. Now, the challenge yeah. is, like I said, if you look at a minor sporting penalty and I have the financial regulations right in front of me, here is what could be applied. Any or none of these. One, a public reprimand, which is nothing more than a printed statement saying, slap on the wrist, you overspent, don't do it again. A deduction of constructor's points, a deduction of driver's championship points, suspension from one or more stages of a competition, limitations on ability to conduct aerodynamic or other testing, and or a reduction of the cost cap. There's a lot here, but it's not clear on when or how any of this would be applied. I, like mm-hmm. you, I, I don't subscribe to that conspiracy theory that Red Bull intentionally overspent that they were pushing the boundaries of the the regulations i don't believe that and you and i've talked about this the teams do that with the technical regulations all the time it's just the way the sport works i don't believe red bull with all of their worldly financial resources and experts and accountants and finance geniuses i don't believe that they would have tried to intentionally overspend and cover it up that said I think the financial regulations and the cost cap are so critical to the financial and competitive health and the future of this sport that the FIA needs to come down like a hammer on Red Bull or any team, any team. This is the first year, 2021, the first year that we've had the cost cap in place and we had a team that's breached it. Why? How much, again, we don't know, and why they haven't already announced a punishment or why Red Bull hasn't engaged in an ABA construct, I don't know. But my point being that regardless of who it is, you have to make it extraordinarily clear from the jump that there is absolutely zero tolerance. Now, that said, I think the financial regulations need to be reworked because they're still too ambiguous. It needs to be crystal clear. There's There's no major overspend. There's no minor overspend. It's just... 
Did you comply with the cap? Yes or no. And if you didn't, whether it was a dollar or a hundred million dollars, the punishment is this. You are disqualified from the championship. And again, I'm not necessarily advocating for that, but I also don't think that that's necessarily yeah. unfair. So I'm, I'm frustrated with the situation because I'm frustrated now that we are going to be sitting for weeks or months with an unclear understanding of how much did they overspend by? Will that have an impact on what the final outcome, the punishment will be? Is this going to go to court? How long is this going to drag out? All of this is just going to continue to fuel the conspiracy theory of Red Bull fans versus Lewis fans and Lewis fans versus Red Bull fans and all of that nonsense that hasn't kind of tamed down since last year, but I don't think this is a great situation. And one last point before I pass it over to you, because I see somebody in the live chat throwing this at us right now, but here's the list of what does come under the cost cap. So every part of the car from the steering wheel to the wheel nuts, all of the elements needed to run the car, most of the team personnel, garage equipment, spares, transport costs, and everything in between. And what's not included is the driver salaries, so they're excluded from the cap, the wages of the three highest paid staff members, travel costs, marketing spend, property and legal costs, entry and license fees, any non-F1 or road car activities. So for instance, if I'm McLaren, every single cost associated with the McLaren road car division will be excluded from this. Parental and sick leave payments, employee bonus and staff medical benefits, and engines. There's an entirely set of diff or different set of regulations that cover the engine. So my friend, I, I think I, I'm a, in agreement with you that I don't believe Red Bull had any malicious intent. But that said, mm -hmm. and I know, I know Tim made this comment that, well, the penalty can't be too heavy and it can't be too light. I, I, I certainly agree that it can't be too light, but I also I disagree that it can't be too heavy. I, I think even a disqualification from the championship is apt if they spent over because the FIA needs to set the message right now and be crystal clear that if we're going to have a cost cap, this is the outcome. It's not going to be that because one, they can't be disqualified based on the mining sporting rights penalty. But two, yeah, anyways, I'm going to pass it back to you because I'm ranting a little bit. But my friend, your <laughs> thoughts, you've had a couple of days to stew on this since you did that great podcast with Tim. Has your position evolved? Has it changed? Uh, it's it's kind of evolved a little bit. Like where I kind of left it was, and I still, this is the way that I would kind of like to see it go is, we find out how much they they overspent by say it's it's five million dollars right. You take that, you reduce the you you double that amount and you deduct it from their their cost cap from next year because Mattia Bonato was saying that you know five million dollars is uh, equivalent to approximately a half a half a second advantage on the track. So I mean, but if you double that, then you're you know you're basically handicapping what they can do. But then also hit them in another way financially. Deduct constructor standing or championship points from them from 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 last year. So maybe that uh, affects like the amount of payout that they get, or you know I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it should be financial at this point. I mean. I, I really don't know. Like, how do you do? You retroactively suspend or exclude somebody from from a championship that's already decided? Because I've kind of been thinking about it too. I mean, la last year was contentious enough the way that that championship ended, and you know, I'm I'm not really in favor of penalizing the drivers. Like, it just happens to be uh, Max Verstappen, but it, it could be it could be any one of the the, the twenty drivers on the grid. Uh, to to me, this is like 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 a team penalty, right? Even though 
it, it comes down to the accounting. It's not the way the car was designed. It's not something that they did in the um, in in the garage. It's not something that the driver did, like to intentionally, you know, gain an advantage on the track. This to me is like 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 a team hit. You know, you 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 go racing as a team, All, regardless if you have like one driver in the car, one person is is driving the car. You you race as a team. It takes an an army, a literal army of people to design, build, transport, and race these cars and service them and and, and everything that goes with them so whatever the penalty is i think it should apply to the team as as a whole but i think it should be financial and i think it should apply in a meaningful way like also you know i I like the idea of limited wind tunnel and cfd uh you know modeling and all that sort of stuff it's something really tangible something that's going to affect the car for 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 next year or you know maybe it, it limits the you know the the amount of upgrades that they can uh design and develop uh, during the course of the season something that that's tangible that you know we're, we're not three races into the season it's like oh yeah well we had a penalty but we've already overcome it and you know we're, we're off to the races now rest of formula one look out here we come i think that wh- whatever the punishment is it should be harsh enough that they deal with it from the very first race of the year in 2023 right to the very end and th- that it's not evenly easily or i would say anything in formula one is uh, easily overcome but let's just say that they they're not able to find some way to engineer themselves out of the problem during the course of the year because then like you say that then the, the whole thing becomes a bit of a farce it's got no teeth to it and what's 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 the real deterrent to anybody else from from doing it uh, in 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 the future the the challenge i think with what you're saying and and i I totally get it and i don't think you're right i don't think you're wrong i'm not right i'm not wrong we're just having a conversation but if we were to if we were to make this financial and we were to take two let's say we took 250 points off of red bull in the constructors title last year they still finished second second in the championship and and i I, that's that's exactly what i'm talking about right like so like again what they can do or what the FIA can do here is a public reprimand, which is nothing, a deduction mm-hmm. of constructors' points, a deduction of drivers' points, a suspension from one or more stages of a competition or competitions, presumably looking forward, um, limitations on ability to conduct aerodynamic or other testing and a reduction of the cost cap. Of the things that you said, though, I, I strongly disagree that, and I agree that, yes, the team should be punished, but equally the driver should be punished because ultimately they're driving in a piece of equipment that presumably has been enhanced and invested in, in other ways that other teams have it. That if I'm a Lewis Hamilton sure. or I'm a Sebastian Vettel, or I'm a Charles Leclerc, if I know my closest competitor has a car that had an extra two hundred or three hundred or five hundred thousand dollars of investment, I'm going to be pretty choked. And why should that driver mm-hmm. keep their or their driver's points? despite work driving what's effectively an illegal car. Again, maybe they didn't intend to cheat, but if they weren't managing the cost cap effectively and they invested too much money in that car, isn't that an illegal car? Like, and again, I, again, I don't have the answers yeah, totally. and I don't believe totally. there's a conspiracy here, but I think the financial regulations are far too ambiguous. And again, I'm not, I'm not pointing at the FIA. Everybody signed up. Everybody agreed to this. But what I don't like is the fact that it was bumped from Wednesday to Monday. Sure. Obviously give the, give the race, give the Japanese Grand Prix a runway 
Don't upset the organizers. Don't upset the the vibe of the weekend. But to come out Monday and say, actually, you know mm-hmm. what? Despite the statement last week, Red Bull did in fact breach the cost cap. We're not going to tell you how much, and we're not going to give you a timeline for the punishment or how it's going to be adjudicated or who's going to adjudicate it or when it's going to be adjudicated. It's just it's it's a little bit it's a little bit frustrating and. It just when it feels like we were moving on from 2021 because it took a very long time after that season finale for us to move by. And it took three (laughs) months for the FIA to conduct an investigation, which really didn't reveal a lot. Here we are again in October of 2022, still talking about the 2021 campaign. And to me, again, I love the cost cap. I'm so happy it's here. If we could have five or six teams battling for a championship every year, that's amazing. If the valuation of teams increase, that's awesome because it means that more people are interested in the sport. You have more manufacturers looking to join. You have more OEMs producing engines. All of these are good things, but the punishment has to have significant teeth. And I just, I don't Mm -hmm. know that the punishment is going to be excised in such a way. And if it's not, and they did overspend in a meaningful way, if they overspent by, and reportedly between one and $2 million, if they overspent by one or $2 million and any other team on the grid, I'm going to be furious. And again, this isn't a kind of a a rant against Red Bull. This would apply to any team. If Mercedes overspent by $2 million, I would be making the exact same statement. And I know that sounds a little hollow because they didn't. It's just that this has got to have some teeth, man, because this is the backbone of the sport. The cost cap is now the backbone of Formula One. Well, a hundred percent, and I will. I, I want to make sure that the, the 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 punishment that the FI levies out is is meaningful and it, it fits the fits the crime, so to speak. Um, you know, not to say that anything criminal happened, but I just wanted to to be appropriate. But you know, I I I, I also want to see transparency. Like for for me. The worst case scenario is is they come out with some wishy washy reprimand for for Red Bull, and it's just because reasons, you know. Because yeah, I, I, I keep totally going back agree. to totally agree, like the, that whole Ferrari thing that you know, you and I have talked about ad nauseum over the years when they were judged to have like that illegal power unit at the end of 2018, and they have like the secret agreement with the FIA, and then what we all suspect is that they had this uh, this engine map uh, imposed on them for, for for 2019 which basically detuned the engine in that car and that's why they you know that Ferrari looked like it had no no grunt to it that year i mean that this oh, that that still irks me today i mean it just it's like we're we're going to punish you but we're we're not going to really tell the world what happened and we're not really going to tell them like what the punishment is we'll just leave everybody guessing and i think you know that that's an old school way of doing things especially in formula 1 and i i think that i know that the fans demand and deserve better than that and i think that the the sports demands and deserves better than that so like i say if they come out uh, wishy-washy reprimand and because reasons i'll be pretty blanking choked about it <laughs> let's put it that way martin brundle yep. i'll just quote him real quick in the skysports.com article he says and i quote mm-hmm. what seems absolutely crazy to me is that a minor breach can be up to five percent overspend on the cost cap that is seven million dollars and we know that is a massive upgrade on a car maybe even as b-spec car for some teams so that needs tightening up for starters because what is the point in having 145 million and then having this five percent variant other teams are saying this gives you a head start into 2022 the car is carried over to 2023 so this is a big advantage it's not it appears the great crime we were told uh, but now we wait other news so I, I i i very much agree with that that comment too that yeah 
Okay, I, I think I'm done with this subject, man. I think I'm done with the subject. You guys did a great podcast. We'll obviously revisit it as news comes out, but uh, I think it's a little bit frustrating. I just, I want to be clear that we shouldn't be throwing uh, flammable material at at the FIA here because the rules were agreed upon by everybody. They weren't sprung upon oh, yeah, us yeah. in the last week that the teams, the FIA, Liberty, everybody signed up to with us. So if there's frustration with the ambiguity ambiguity of the financial regulations. Well, that's on everybody involved, not just the FIA. Now, how the FIA handles the investigation, the adjudication, and ultimately the penalty, if a penalty is to come, well, that's clearly on them. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Yeah, and you know the the other thing that uh, that I keep bouncing around inside my head is you know come Monday morning when this was uh, announced, I wonder what the conversation at that accounting firm was. You know, I bet you something, guys, this was a big one. Yeah, <laughs> how did this happen? How do we get here? You know, we we need to look at the because you have to wonder. You know, you know if if Red Bull take a massive hit. Here, you got to think that there is going to be some sort of ramifications. If you see them going after that accounting firm, you know, in, in one way or another, then, you know, it's just like, yeah, it, it's it's one thing to, you know, to do something, you know, naughty intentionally, but to, you know, have like, I mean, like, like Toto says, there's nothing minor about a minor overspin like that. We're talking billions and billions and millions of dollars. This is... You know, like how how did they? You know, if they you know, they brought somebody in to help manage this thing, like how did it how did it get to that point? And that that's what I you know really blows my mind. My my wife, most. by the way, is, is on the stairs mouthing something at me because she's been listening to our conversation as we're sitting here recording this podcast. <laughs> and her point is is a good one as well, which is yep. if if I'm a team. And I'm in a situation, yep. and we see this in team sports sometimes. But if I'm in a team. And we have a great start to the season and a couple of big upgrades that might be over the cap could push us into title contention, but I know there's no risk of disqualification for the current championship, but maybe I risk some aerodynamic um, access the next few years. Maybe there's a fine, maybe we lose some constructors points, but ultimately if I'm in a position to win a championship, but I can spend a half million dollars over to secure a driver's title and I'll deal with that financial penalty later, I'm probably going to do that because how often am I going to be in a position to win a championship? And if the cost is that I'm going to suffer a penalty next year, or I'm going to suffer a little bit of 
lost time in the wind tunnel or there's going to be some mm-hmm. penalties around my future cost cap, that's something that I'm probably going to sign up for. So the penalty here needs to be a penalty that impacts them in the future. And again, them being any team, the penalty needs to impact them in the present and the future. And there needs to be a cost on the past as well. Because whenever we're talking about yep. a cost yep. cap certificate of compliance, we're talking about the prior year. And if I overspent and I won a championship, that's probably not enough that they get that they get dinged this year or they get a reduction in next year's cost cap. Like, what is the disincentive to somebody spending in one specific year to push them over the top to win a championship? So my wife and I don't agree on a lot of things, but that's certainly one that I, I definitely agree with. So I'm going to take that that take and I'm going to twist it a little bit now because you've given me a little bit of ammo here. I, I think that's a really great take and a, and a really good angle. So so let's let's kind of like unpack that a little bit. I know you said you were done with this, but no, now you ten minutes later we're still right? going. This is fresh ammo here. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I mean, in that scenario, is it not a little bit like playing Russian roulette? I mean, let's. This is going to be me purely speculating here. But what if the FAA comes back in a couple of weeks and say, okay, this is the scenario. Okay, we're going to let Max Verstappen keep his championship. He's going to be uh, driver's champion after 2022, but we're going to disqualify you as a constructor from the 2022 World Championship. Could you imagine that? And could you imagine just the fury and the amount of upset people, not only in Milton Keynes, but the people in Tokyo that just reworked this whole thing, sponsorship deal to get those Honda badges back onto those engines, onto the side of that car, because, you know, Red Bull's running away with this thing. And, you know, it's powered by a Honda uh, power unit that has a Red Bull powertrains badge on the side of it. And then, you know, they, they rework that. Now it's not going to happen. I mean, that would be that would be just a huge huge nightmare. I mean, who, who's to say if they would go that far and exclude them from the championship this year? But like you say, would you go down all that that list? I mean, it's a different Rubik's cube of combinations of things that they can do. Like you say, they can deduct points. They can be disqualified from championships or portions of championships, both team and and, and driver. So I don't know. That's just one thing that popped into my mind. I was just thinking, yeah. well. Maybe that was another part of the reason that they offset that uh, announcement, which we really expected to drop You know, first about 10 days ago, then about a week ago, and then it got delayed another couple of days until after the Grand Prix. And then that kind of popped into my mind when you were going through that scenario. So maybe what I should have done when I was reading out those, uh, those sanctions is completed steps two and step three. So I'll read these in full this time. A deduction of constructors championships of points awarded for the championship that took place within the reporting period of the breach. So they could only take constructors points off of them for 2021. And for the driver's Ah, one, deduction of driver's championship points awarded for the championship that took place again within the reporting Mm. period of the breach. So they couldn't take any constructors or driver's points off of them for 2022 or 2023. They can only take them off for that reporting period. So and that that's where maybe I get a little bit confused because part of the, the lack of clarity here is um, suspension and another one, suspension for one or more stages of a competition or competitions, excluding mm-hmm. for the avoidance of doubt the race itself. Again, 
would that be last year? Would you disqualify them from certain races last year? Or would you so- disqualify them from certain races this year? And then limitations on ability to conduct aerodynamic or other testing and or a reduction of the cost cap. Well, presumably that would have to be in the future. So it is a little bit, and this is where I get frustrated a little bit with the ambiguity of these regulations. Like, mm-hmm. So if we're going to take points off them, it has to be during the previous campaign, so the campaign during the reporting period, but if we're going to suspend them from one or more stages of a competition, so that would be that could be qualifying, that could be a Grand Prix, it's not yeah. clear when that would be, whether it's in the past tense, future tense, present tense, and then the limitations on ability to conduct aerodynamic, well, the presumption there is that that would be the future state, and again, a reduction of the cost cap would be a future season as well. So it again, it's very strange, very strangely worded. And again, I'm not putting the FIN blast to everybody at home. I'm just calling out that yeah. as I read this, it, and I'm, I love, I love nothing more than to sit down in bed with a cup of hot coffee, not hot coffee. I've never drunk coffee in my life with a cup of hot cocoa and read a terms and conditions booklet. <laughs> like I actually really enjoy that, but these aren't abundantly clear to me. And I think it leaves a lot to interpretation, which is why to your earlier point, I think we're going to get yeah. an empty hollow, hollow penalty eventually. Okay, so obviously I, I completely uh, misunderstood the way that they could apply that uh, that that penalty. So obviously it won't apply to anything that they could do this year. But if it refers to last year, it kind of makes you wonder: could they timestamp it to a certain date as yeah. to when they exceeded the cost cap? Great point. And then just like deduct any points. So say they um, they went over the cost cap by July first, for example. So they they were over their $145 million spend, and then they kept spending, spending, spending beyond that from July 1st, you know, until the end of the year, the end of that championship. Then could they say, well, we're going to deduct everything beyond that that point in time? I don't know if they they have the ability to to do that, you know, to actually timestamp it. But that that would be interesting because you know they like you say if they they took away 250 points up from the constructors championship, they'd still finish second, you know, in the the constructors in 2021. So you know that doesn't really have any teeth into it unless you know they they actually drop multiple spots through the constructors championship. But but and they start forfeiting all that money, that championship money, right? It, Prize money. They Sorry, took go ahead. Nine points off of Max, he loses his title. So it's it's interesting. Like if they yes. they could come out and say, look, the penalty the penalty is we are going to take ten drivers point take ten points off of uh, the drivers championship last year and a hundred points off the constructors championship. For most teams, that's irrelevant. Well, maybe not the constructors because that could have a meaningful impact to their prize money. But ten points from a driver is pretty insignificant. But it would cost them the championship. Mm-hmm. It would actually cost them the championship, which is based on these regulations, a deduction of constructors championship points, a deduction of drivers championship points is absolutely something that they could that they could deliver. And I'm not necessarily advocating for it. I'm just saying that would be the nuclear option here. Yeah, well, it, it, exactly right. I mean, you'll have, uh, you know, like Team LH will say, well, you know, justice finally been served. Right. I mean, that wasn't Max's title to begin with. And then, of course, you know, you'll have all of Max's fans furious that, you know, it was his, you know, you know, he won the race fair and square on that day. It was just F- the circumstances that the way that they decided. Blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, or, but you know, I mean, the, the whole thing is you go back to the whole thing is he won the race fair and square. It's just the circumstances that, that, that race was concluded the way that Michael Massey decided to run those last couple of laps. 
that was nothing to do with, you know, Max had no influence out of that. He just raced those last couple of laps. So how's that really, how's that really justice is like, does do two wrongs make a right or you know, I guess three rights make a left, but <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just to, to me, that would seem to be the worst way to, I mean, like I say, you know, some people would be, you know, obviously over the moon that justice was finally served and Lewis was, you know, awarded the title that he so properly deserved to win in 2021. And then other people would be saying, like, well, why are you making, you know, doing this, you know, because a contentiously decided, you know, championship has just become even more of a, you know, a joke and everything like that. So there's, there's no, no easy way. I, like I say, I'm, I, I would be interested if they could actually, time stamped it and yeah. deduct points from from that point forward or just say you know what you're we're dropping you five places down in the constructors just to you know we're, we're just gonna just drop you straight down and too bad so sad and we're gonna reduce your cost cap uh, for for next year or the year after whatever it is by five or ten percent and you know well if you don't like it well too bad you you guys were over now you got to deal with the consequences totally i completely agree so, with everything <laughs> everything that you're saying and Again, my, my yeah. final point on this is going to be that the, the regulations themselves are just too ambiguous. They're too, they're too loose. They leave too much to interpretation. And like I said, a public reprimand yeah. is, is nothing. It's, it's words on a piece of paper and everybody moves it, on. But it, a deduction of driver's be ridiculous. could cost them a championship and the hundreds of millions of dollars mm-hmm. of financial windfall that comes with that, not to mention the stain that would be yep. on the legacy of that organization. So if we're going to have tiers, if we're going to choose to have tiers of penalty based on how you exceed or how much you exceed the cost cap, it just has to be abundantly clear that if you overspend between zero and a million dollars, you're going to lose 50 driver's points and you're going to lose 100 championship points. If you spend two to four million, you're going to lose all of your driver's points and all of your constructor's points. And three, if you spend more than four million, you're disqualified and you get a fine of $100 million. Like It has to be crystal clear because you make a great point that no matter what the outcome here is, and maybe they negotiate an outcome through the ABA, but if they do apply a penalty here, you're going to have one side of the paddock that's going to be screaming. They're going to be screaming that you know everything's all everything's always tilted in favor of Mercedes, and that Mercedes wouldn't have had this type of penalty. And then if it goes the other direction, you're going to have the other half of the fan base and the other half of the mm-hmm. paddock screaming that that's not appropriate. And again, this is going to happen. Nobody's going to be happy with the outcome of this, and it's going to be a surprise to all of us because they're just so ambiguous. I'll let all the other teams, you know, scream as much as they want, as long as Ferrari take a back seat to this. Because out of everyone, I feel that they should not be making too much noise. Because, like I say, that whole engine thing that they had a couple of years ago, although it's slightly different situation than this, they obviously found a way to circumvent the rules and they got punished for it. For so, if they were to be the ones that kind of were, you know, leading the charge, I'd be like. Yeah, guys, you know, maybe you should take a, a backseat. Maybe, maybe let some of the other teams run point on this one. You guys should maybe just kind of like come along for the ride and, you know, just maybe, you know, don't speak unless spoken to <laughs> might, might be the way to go. But anyways, I think we're almost an hour into this thing. Are, are we good to go yeah, on now? We I should mean, also have a break. Like, we should probably right. have a break. All right, we'll take a quick break here. I'll sneak a break in somewhere sneakily in the first uh, 53 minutes of this show. So, yeah, (laughs) exactly. I love what you can do in post-production. Anyways, guys, we'll be back in just a moment. Don't go away. (laughs) 
Okay, welcome back. Yes, we did mention Michael Schumacher somewhat really briefly, I guess, somewhere along the line. Yeah, we did. I think we we, we referenced that at one point, or we should, because this next story has a tie into Michael Schumacher, Michael Schumacher, pardon me, and that is his son, Mick, who is currently without a drive or confirmed drive for 2023. But Haas team principal Gunther Steiner says that Mick Schumacher has what he calls the home advantage to keep his seat at Haas F1 for 2023. And that is in large part because the team has already been working with him for two years. And this would kind of make sense. And I know that Mick really hasn't delivered. There's a lot to live up to with that name. And, you know, you could make the comparison that, you know, when it comes to the the, the Schumachers, he's more like Ralph rather than Michael. But, you know, I still think that compared to Ralph, you know, Mick has a long way to go. And I don't want to take anything away from Ralph Schumacher other than that uh, he wasn't as good as his brother. But, I mean, he was still a pretty good Formula One driver, managed to win some races. And if Mick is going to emulate either his uncle or his father he's got a long way to go but to kind of see him out or usher him out of that team at this point for me i don't know if that really would be justice for bick and you know i know maybe that sounds a little bit uh, ironic i mean it, it, it is pro sports it's a shark tank we all know that but I mean, this, you know, last year, I mean, like we've said many times, Mark, you just got to wipe the slate clean. You look at the, how bad the car was, the fact they weren't developing that car. They were focusing more on 2023, sorry, 2022, pardon me. And then uh, who his teammate was. Then you get uh, Kevin Magnuson coming in at the 11th hour before the start of this season. The car is much improved. And then maybe you compare him to some other guys. I mean, Look at the, the the inconsistencies that we've seen with the uh, Yuki Sonoda. Sure, Yuki's been able to score some more points, but let's let's face it that Alpha Tauri the past two years, even though it's not the greatest car this year, the Alpha Tauri on paper and in reality has been a lot better than than the Haas that Mick's been driving in the, the the past couple of years. And the thing is, too, when you look at the car that they've got this year. It's it's been a little bit frustrating because it's definitely shown some flashes of potential. Both Mick and and Kevin Magnuson have had some pretty good showings for, at times. I mean, K Mag had a great start to the season. They've uh, managed to, you know, take home a, a pretty decent haul of uh, points. But um, I don't know what your take is, Mark. But uh, I'd certainly like to see Mick Schumacher stick a little, at least a little while longer, maybe one more year, and then we can get a, a, a pretty good, you know take on what uh, you know wh- where he's going with his career taking a quick glance at the current world drivers championship standings yuki sonodia currently sits in 17th place with 11 points mick schumacher now is actually ahead of him in the world drivers championship with 12 points and i very much agree with you and i don't necessarily agree that drivers deserve two or three years in formula one to to help illustrate whether they should be here, whether they shouldn't be here. I think it's probably abundantly clear in a single season whether they're qualified to be a Formula One driver. But as you and I have talked about so much, last year last year needs to be a total write-off. That was a team in disarray, in financial disarray, that was surrounded by distractions and had a three-year-old car. And This year, it 
is to me his rookie season and and ultimately formula one is a cutthroat sport and there's an abundance of qualified drivers on this planet that could probably step in and drive a formula one car really effectively but i also don't put a lot of stock in what kevin magnuson's done this year i mean ultimately he had that thrilling fit start in bahrain when he placed fifth um and he's had a couple of points finishes since then he's only got 22 points this Mm -hmm. year and this is a guy who has a hundred grand prix of formula one experience and should be running circles around Mick and I think if things had broken a little bit differently for Mick this year he could even be ahead of Kevin Magnuson and then we certainly wouldn't be having these conversations I would be curious to see where this goes um I have a soft spot for Mick only because I think he's a capable driver. I just don't think Haas is a team that does a particularly good job of nurturing its drivers or or nurturing its internal talent. I am also very suspect of the way that that organization mm-hmm. is run. And it's funny because there was a rumor that was circulating throughout F1 Twitter and F1 Reddit earlier today and earlier this week about the fact that Haas has in fact called a press conference for the US Grand Prix weekend. And it was speculated that they were going to be announcing their driver lineup for next year is 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 uh is Mick Schumacher in is is Nico Hulkenberg in and then it was later reported that no in fact while there is going to be a press conference it's probably going to be about the fact that Haas might be signing on a new principal sponsor um who's reportedly Mm. going to be UPS so in a sport that's been dominated by DHL as a primary uh transport logistics Mm -hmm. partner UPS could be signing up as a principal sponsor for Haas, which would inject some much needed financial security into that team. But I don't think Haas is in, in a lot of, in a lot of, I don't know, in much of a panic to make this driver announcement. And I don't think Mick has any leverage whatsoever. And if he's offered a contract, he has to take it because I don't think he'd get one anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a good point. And I mean, I think the, something that's kind of plays to mixed benefit is the fact that Yuki just got re-upped at uh, Alpha Tauri. And l- let's just say that I think when it comes to Yuki Sonoda, I think that, uh, you know, he's, he's a good driver that's got potential, but I think there's been some focus, professional focus issues with the Yuki. I mean, of course, he's a, a young driver as well. And uh, I think that we, we, we got a little bit of a glimpse into what, uh, you know, his mentality and where his head, head was in Drive to Survive, which was kind of interesting. So, I mean, I, I think that, you know, that that he's need to, to, to buckle down and uh, and really focus more on his professional attitude uh, to a certain degree. And, uh, you know, like you say, I mean, mix currently a couple of points or just a single point ahead of him in the driver's championship. So, I mean, if Yuki's been re-upped to, with, with his current team, then, you know, wh- why would you not do the same at uh, at Haas? I mean, especially in this day and age where the, the, the whole pay driver thing doesn't really come into the equation. So let's, uh, let, let's wait and see what happens there. But uh, I actually hadn't heard that uh, perhaps say UPS would be uh, announcing or coming on as a, 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 a sponsor or partner with uh, with Haas F1. So I guess we'll have to see what happens at Coda next week. You know, it's uh, <laughs> it's kind of funny. You know, it's it feels kind of strange. Like I'm used to kind of having that race at this time of year, and then going over to uh, Mexico City afterwards, and then Brazil, and kind of like the sort of tail end of the schedule. It's just like on a, on, a, on a personal note, I just I'm, I'm still kind of struggling to realize that we're actually there. I mean, the NHL has just started up. We're we're well into the NFL. I mean, you know, I mean, we're the playoffs for Major League Baseball. I mean, the NBA is about to tip off here, literally just days away. So, I mean, it's just the the sort of the stark reality that <laughs> we're at that point of the year that you know that that my mind uh, just isn't uh, ready for yet. So, 
There you go. But uh, talking about other drivers now, uh, Franz Toss, the uh, the team principal at uh, at uh, at uh, Toro Rosso. I was going to say Toro Rosso. Pardon me. I'm two years behind here. That's how far my mind is. Uh, anyways, uh, Franz Toss, team principal at AlphaTauri, believes that Nick DeFries, who has been recently announced as their uh, a driver that's going to partner Yuki Tsunoda next year, will be very competitive uh, from the first race. And uh, what we saw of uh, Nick at Imola, sorry, not at Imola, at Monza several weeks ago. I mean, that, that was impressive driving of Williams getting that car into the points that was really really good stuff so I, I'm really excited to see what uh, Nick DeFries will do in Formula 1 uh, next year uh, also moving along Pedro De La Rosa is going to be a team ambassador for Aston Martin so he was a test driver for the team way back in 1998 when it was um, actually I mean this is the kind of the interesting sort of evolution of uh, Formula 1 teams as they change owners so Pedro was uh, a test driver for Aston Martin Martin way back in the day when they were Jordan. And uh, of course, they've uh, changed uh, owners uh, several times until it was uh, bought by Lawrence Stroll and his consortium a couple years ago and rebranded as Aston Martin last year. And then I guess this next story is no real surprise. So former team principal at Aston Martin slash Racing Point slash Force India, Otmar Safnauer, who is now the team principal at uh, Alpine slash Renault. I'm just throwing the slashes in there just for the hell of it. Uh, anyway, said that they did briefly consider reuniting with uh, Danny Ricardo. Ricardo obviously not coming back to McLaren for 2023. And uh, obviously, um, in the past week, they have confirmed that their driver lineup will be an all-French driver lineup uh, for 2023 with uh, Pierre Gasly alongside Esteban Alcon. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, you'd, you'd have to think that Danny Ricardo's name obviously would have come up in the discussions, Mark. I mean, the, the question is, internally, how far did they want to take that? And did they want to reunite? Because uh, obviously, uh, Ricardo drove for them for a, a couple of seasons there and moved over to McLaren for 2021 now in his second year at McLaren going to be his last so what, what do you think do you how, how far do you think that not, they had this discussion I don't think it went anywhere I really don't and like if you if really, you read really. if you read the quote here um, and and I quote here from Snafnauer he basically says I'm going to paraphrase he says ultimately we were looking for somebody that was young and fast and and Daniel doesn't fit either of that criteria he's on the wrong side of 30 he's rapidly mm-hmm. approaching 35 he's one of the oldest drivers on the grid and with the exception of that 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 almost freak Monza result last year. I shouldn't say freak. That's a disservice. But with the exception of that unusual Monza result last year, he's been really poor. And I I like Daniel. I'm just, I feel like he's had every single opportunity to be successful over the last two years. And I'm not one of those guys that's going to make a bashful comment that like Daniel Ricardo sucks and kind of wave my fists around. But the reality is, if you look at his performance over the last two years and you compare against his teammate, his teammate crushes him everywhere, every sector of every race, mm-hmm. race pace, qualifying, free practice, everything Everything that's measurable between the two of them, his teammate runs circles around him. And last year, I think McLaren ultimately were probably starting to lose a little bit of patience with him halfway through the season. And here we are two years into his gig with that team as a very competent team with a world-class facility, world-class personnel, a really solid car and a solid chassis. And he's still getting slashed around by his teammate. Ultimately, I think his time in Formula One has probably come and gone. And I don't think there was any, I don't think there was any possibility that he was going to go back to Alpine. If I'm, if I'm Otmar, how do I go to the board at Alpine Renault and say, Hey, here's the move I'd like to make. I'd like, and of course he 
would have to mm-hmm. do that with Laurel Rossi. But how do I convince them to bring back a guy that left because he wanted to chase greener pastures and then has significantly diminished talent-wise in the two subsequent years when we could alternatively bring on a younger, potentially faster driver who's also French? It was never going to happen. Yeah, 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 100%. But, you know, what I'm really um, interested in watching at Alpine next year is Pierre Gasly, because I think, you know, he's been a bit of an interesting study over the past uh, couple of years. I mean, he comes into the sport, he starts driving for, uh, you know, uh, Toro Rosso, and then uh, from there he gets promoted up to, to Red Bull, and then pretty, you know, I mean, it, it just got off to the wrong start, because he, he racks up the car in pre-season uh, testing at Barcelona, and then, you know, that limits the amount of time that Max gets to uh, do testing that year and then he's just he, he just gets off to his uh, his his career at Red Bull on the wrong foot they dump him after the the, the summer break then he goes back to uh, Toro Rosso they promote Alex Albon Alex looks like he's going to be like a really really good driver he does a, a really good second half of the season in the Red Bull that he goes back the next year and struggles ultimately they dump him and then you know um, Gasly ends up uh, back at uh, at uh, Toro Rosso which then becomes Alpha Tauri and then uh, he is where he is now, and I, I've just you know, we've talked about it before, Mark. Over the you know the almost two years that we've been doing this podcast together, is that that we've we've always speculated that Pierre Gasly, just for himself and professionally, would probably be better served if if he could break out of that 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 Red Bull environment. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but it just seemed that he tried every single combination and he'd gone as far as he was going to go. And then you get Sergio comes into Red Bull. He has a bit of an apprenticeship there. And then as soon as he figured it out, I mean, Sergio's doing a great job for that uh, that team right now. You got Max crushing it. I mean, he's obviously on the top of his game. The, the car and the questions that we have about the, you know, the car and like the, the overspend and everything that's immaterial when it comes to like the discussion about the Sergio Perez and Max Verstappen because they've just just talent wise and consistency they've just been Max especially has been on a on another level this year I mean we can have the debate about the car all day long and the the benefits that they they may have gained from the potentially from from an overspend but just uh, questioning the, the the performance of the, the the drivers themselves, I think, is uh, w- without doubt. But certainly, I think uh, Pierre Gasly will be uh, a very very fascinating driver to watch at Alpine in twenty twenty three. And and this is a team that you and I have been watching for a good number of years, ever since they took over uh, Lotus and then came back as Renault. And then you know they they just haven't been able to to really. You know, I mean that that bell curve, you know, like that development curve, it's it's been pretty flat. You know, they just haven't been able to to get it to the point that I think a lot of people wanted to see them take it. When you go back, you know, fifteen years to those double world championships of uh, Fernando Alonso in two thousand and five and two thousand and six, I think that's what a lot of people were. I wouldn't say predicting, but we're expecting that that's the direction that they wanted to go. And obviously, they haven't been able to take it there. Okay, next story. Um, Formula 2 race winner and race driver and Sauber Academy driver Theo Pocher will make his Formula 1 debut at Coda next week, uh, driving in free practice. So this is uh, this is really cool. So this, uh, the young French driver has been a member of the Sauber Academy since 2019. And we'll get to take the wheel of uh, Valtteri Bottas's car in FP1 next weekend. So that's uh, pretty cool. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm, 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 that was, you know, just uh, I think I need a drink of water here. But uh, you could be, uh, you could forgive me if I get a little bit choked up about this uh, next story because Tim and I talked about it briefly on Monday. 
and that's just the uh, the, the story that the uh, the W series has canceled their three remaining races of the season due to a uh, lack of funding and uh, that is uh, certainly very very uh, disappointing i mean tim and i talked about it I know that uh, well. Obviously, you and I are b- big uh, supporters and proponents of uh, of different uh, formulas of uh, of motorsport, specifically the W Series and the opportunity that it gives to uh, to female drivers. Mark, I would be remiss if I didn't hand the mic uh, back to you because I know that this is a racing series that uh, that that both you and I are very very passionate about. So I want to get your take on this, right? And I'll let you grab a drink in the meantime. I, I think we've been going at it for a, a couple good. of hours now. now, but but right, it's just it's. <laughs> It's ultimately disappointing, and I, I think that the biggest the biggest point of contention or point of frustration for me here is that there are businesses operating adjacent to the W Series that had every financial resource available to them to help pay the bills until the W Series could get through the season. We're talking about three races, and three races in North America, in the U.S. and Mexico. The reality is it, it could easily have been covered by the FIA. It could have been paid for by Liberty, any other racing series, any other individual sponsor, any other partner of Formula One could have stepped up and helped to ensure that we could conclude this championship. But unfortunately, that the championship has been wound up. Jamie Chadwick, shout out Jamie Chadwick, now has the has the triple. She has the hat trick. She's won all three championships in the history of the sport, 2019, 2021, and 2022. Uh, but alas, we won't have the final three races. And while I'm still not convinced that the W Series in and of itself will develop the first female F1 driver, um, I think that driver will probably come through F2 and certainly F3. I, I still think it serves an incredibly important function of illustrating and highlighting the opportunities that exist for women in motorsport because women competing in motorsport and karting are a incredibly small fraction of the total number of people that get into those cars. And I think if the W series Mm -hmm. does anything, it helps promote to young women and young girls that there are opportunities for them to compete in, in motorsport. And if the W series is their entry point and what attracts them to the sport and gets them involved with engineering or STEM research or, or karting, that's a good thing. And I think there's a ton of redeeming value in having a healthy, thriving W series. And hopefully in the absence of the series, we're going to see individual sponsors start to come through and identify talented young women and help fund their journey. Even if it's not in the W series, if it's formula three, formula four, formula two, that's ultimately what we need. But it's just, it's shocking that formula one themselves, Liberty, which operate immediately adjacent to the W series through so much of their calendar, couldn't step in and hand them $10 million to wrap up this championship. I think it's a stain on, on formula one and Liberty as much as it is anyone else. And certainly they're not obligated to, but why would you not do it when your sport is absolutely flush with cash? I think it's, uh, I think it's very, mm-hmm. very, very disappointing. Well, I mean, especially when you look at, uh, you know, globally over the past uh, two years, how many people and, and entities and businesses have really struggled to get through the through the pandemic, right? And Formula One arguably has done pretty good. I mean, wh- at a time when everything was shut down, we were still racing. Yeah, great call. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it was a modified shortened schedule, but they still managed to get a 17 race schedule in. And I, I think that, um, you know, it, it's, it's disappointing at a point when they're, they're raking in money hand over fist that uh, they, they couldn't. Who knows if they are approached, but even just, um, you know, from the, the, the point of, uh, you know, stepping up and saying, hey, you, you guys are having problems. What, what can we do to help? So, 
disappointed to see, uh, you know, potentially a lack of initiative on uh, on their side. Okay, a couple last uh, stories before we wrap this one up. And oh, I got one email I just went to. We already touched on it, but uh, I just want to give a shout out to, to the emailer. Anyways, uh, first of all, this uh, this is something you and I, we, we speculated on uh, last week, but uh, confirmed that the, the Japanese Grand Prix exceeded an attendance of 200,000 spectators over the course of the weekend. That is the biggest crowd at Suzuka since uh, 2012. So that was uh, great to see because uh, you had mentioned it last week, Mark, that uh, the you know, Japanese Grand Prix had not been exceptionally well attended in, in recent years. So glad to see that uh, the, the fans turned out in droves, especially when the weather was uh, not the greatest at uh, Suzuka the last uh, or last uh, last weekend. And then the very last one, this is kind of cool. Apparently, they are going to redesign the uh, track for the Singapore Grand Prix for next uh, year. They're going to take out, was it turns 17 through 19? And uh, that, uh, I think, should make some uh, some, some well-deserved or needed changes to the track. And, uh, you know, like, like I say, that th- this is always a bit of a grind to get through this one. It, it's a long race. It's, it's a physically demanding race for, for, for the drivers. But I've come to love Singapore over the years. And if they think that there's a way that they can uh, improve this track and, and make it better, uh, I, I, I'm all for it. What do you, what do you think? Yeah, very much agree, man. And ultimately, this change is being made not because they want to spice it up or improve the racing. I think it's because of some local construction or development work that's going to be happening that's going to force this change. Uh, But ultimately, I don't mind a little bit of a change as well. I mean, this is a track that doesn't necessarily promote great racing. um, And I think taking out some of this technicality through those specific turns that you mentioned, maybe won't necessarily be a bad thing. Exactly, exactly. So I, I just want to dive into the mailbag here. I meant to pull this out when we had the discussion on the cost cap uh, earlier, but uh, I know that this uh, is right up uh, your alley. So this is uh, from our good friend JJ in Houston. And JJ has to say, hi, Mark, all this talk about the cost cap recently got me thinking, what do the big teams that once spent tons of money before the $145 million cost cap do with access funds under the new regulations? For example, if a rich team used to spend annually around $400 million before for the 2022 season, what are they doing with the excess 255 million, assuming their fiscal resources are consistent with prior years? The championship may be decided, but your pod continues to deliver. Loving the content as always. Thanks, JJ from Houston. Well, thanks for the email, JJ. Always glad to hear from you. So, Mark, I'm going to throw this one to you uh, since the business side of sports is always, uh, that that's your thing. So, take yeah, it away, Yeah, so sir. shout out, JJ. Thanks so much for reaching out. It's been, uh, it's been a while, but uh, we appreciate the kind words and appreciate the email. I think ultimately, and, and I spoke to this a little bit earlier, but I think one of the reasons that companies have been reluctant, and I shouldn't say companies as in sponsors, but companies as in investors and teams in Formula One have often been reluctant to come and why we've seen so many big companies like BMW, Ford, Honda, um, Toyota leave the sport in droves in the past is because there's no financial predictability with the sport, meaning that if I'm Toyota and I have a Formula One team on the grid, I may need to spend $500 million to be competitive. And even if I'm competitive, it doesn't mean I'm going to win a championship or bring home a ton of prize money. And if I'm bringing home a ton of prize money anyways, it may not be enough to offset the amount of money that I'm spending. And all of this has meant that that 
the financial unpredictability of the sport and the real challenge that it is to win titles and bring home a ton of constructors' prize money means that the teams themselves have typically had very small valuations. And the benefit of the cost cap is you now guarantee all of the participants, all of the teams that, hey, you're not going to spend more than $145 million plus drivers and some of those other pieces. So say $200 million in total, meaning that if you earn in excess of $200 million when you factor in the constructors' prize money and your sponsorships, Well, that's all gravy that when you look at your financial statement at the end of the year, separate from financial regulations, but when you look at your financial balance sheet, everything that you earn beyond your costs is purely incremental income. It's all operating income. So ultimately, it's at the discretion of the organization as to how they want to distribute that money. And of course, they can't necessarily spend it back into the team because of the cost cap that you and I spoke so much about today. But the reality now is because you've got these more predictable costs around um, building and managing an F1 team, you've also got far more predictable income as well. And all of a sudden, if you know that I'm only ever going to spend $200 million a year, year in with the cost cap and the drivers and my engines, et cetera, and I'm possibly going to be able to earn four or $500 million a year um, in total income when you talk about prize money and when you talk about sponsorships, well, all of a sudden, this is a team that's making $150 million after corporate taxes. And all of a sudden, this is a team that's worth a billion dollars on the open market because it's so financially profitable to be in this business. So ultimately it's it's their money to spend as they as they please. And every team is going to spend that money in a different way because every team has a very, very different ownership structure. Um, but yeah, ultimately in a lot of cases, that's just going to be pure gravy for these teams. I, I know a certain Formula One podcast that could definitely use a financial <laughs> injection to take it to the next level. I, you know, I'm I'm just saying, I mean you know, two hundred and fifty-five million dollars. Even one percent would be, uh, you know, even point one percent. We'll take two hundred and fifty-five dollars flat. We'll take two hundred fifty-five dollars. <laughs> yeah, that that'll pay the bills for a month. So there you go. Anyways, well, I think Mark, uh, it, that's a good place yeah. to to wrap it up. Uh, thank you to to JJ for the email. Thank you to Connie, Rocky, Daniel, and everybody else that was uh, watching live stream on YouTube uh, tonight. Thank you for for the, for the comments uh, in there as as well. Um, you know, Connie made a good point. She said uh, they should find Red Bull and take the, the the proceeds from the fine and use it to fund the W series. So there you go. I love it. Creative ways to move money around in in, in Formula One. So before we go, Mark, I know you had uh, one little announcement that you like to make it this uh, week every time, and uh, so I'll let you let you do a that. challenge. A challenge for everybody listening at home. A challenge. We currently have ninety nine reviews on Apple Podcasts. Would you like to be the one that pushes us over the edge to get us that century mark? If you would like, jump on the Apple podcast, give us a rating and review. It means the world to both of us. If you don't use Apple software, jump on Spotify, give us a rating there. It means as much as uh, it means as much as a review does on Apple podcasts. I assure you of that. So if you've got a couple of minutes and you'd like to bless us, please Absolutely. Do. Well, that's great. Well, thank you very much, everybody. Thank you for for listening to the show this week. Thank you to everybody that uh, took the time to join the live stream. And uh, that's it. That's a wrap for for this week. If you want to get in touch, Twitter's the best way. We're at ScooterF1Pod. Send us an email at ScooterF1Pod at gmail.com. And no race this weekend, but we'll be back with the show on Monday. Got some things we want to talk about then. So have a great weekend, guys. All the best. We'll talk to you soon. Bye for now.